Welcome to Lifeline Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Been gone for a couple weeks there, Bryn. The snowstorms and uh, holidays and ran a couple of the best ofs, but uh, we're back now. Before we begin the show, I've got Larry Minetti, special guest today. He uh, played uh, Rick Orville Wright on Magnum P.I., my favorite television show of all time. But before we get to uh, Mr. Minetti, I want to thank my listeners in Beijing, China. Go figure that one, Bryn. I have my podcast site. I can see... Who clicks in to listen to my shows? I've had over a 1,000 downloads in the last week and a half from people in Beijing, China, and I have absolutely no idea why, but I'm happy about it. <laughs> but you have no idea why. I have no, well, would you listen to me? I'm not listening to uh, the best and the oldies there in Beijing, China on the opposite end, but you know, what can I tell you? Larry, you there? I'm there. Good morning, guys. <laughs> Good morning, Larry. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Been looking forward to this one since we spoke uh, the other week. What's the weather like in out in, out in L.A.? Give us a little quick. Uh, update. I don't think you want to know. <laughs> uh, I, I have it's to. Supposed know. to be, John. It's supposed to be 81 today. That's not bad. So I, I heard a pause. So. Yeah, there, of course, and, there's a pause. There's 25 degrees here in uh, the Philadelphia yeah, area. Well, hey, I grew up in that weather. I mean, Chicago. when I was a kid, I used to uh, snow um, plow snow for the city. So I know Chicago? all about the snow. Well, yeah. you're from Chicago, right? Yeah, from Chicago. There you go. See, I know a little bit about you. I want to give a quick lead in here. Magnum PI ran from 1980 to 1988. It now is seen in 178 countries. Uh, I forget how many episodes. I think it was 160 episodes were the uh, were the actual number of episodes. Well, you got to figure it's 22 a year, so figure 22 by eight and a half. There you go. So I'm not good at math. Neither I am I. that, too, when I was in school. Well, that's okay. Just, hey, listen, trust me. All I can do is talk and lift weights. So that's good. <laughs> this is what's up. <laughs> Larry, I want to start off with you a little bit. So some of the things you've been doing since, uh, since Magnum ended. I know that you uh, wrote a book, uh, Aloha Magnum, which I have a copy of. I know that people can find the book on uh, LarryMinetti.com. But what have you been doing? You've been doing some movies, I know that. You've been doing anything, any kind of... Uh, uh, live acting or any kind of plays or anything? Well, no, I'm not doing any more theater. Okay. I mean, I I did that, done that, and I mean, it's not like I, you know, like that. I dislike it. It's um, it's a great art, but I'd rather be in front of the camera. And I uh, just finished a film called Black Gold, which uh, takes place in Nigeria. Hmm. And if anybody's listening, there, hello, folks. <laughs> and uh, uh, I play. Um, uh, a guy that runs an oil company that the Nigerians become very upset with, and with the Americans and all. It's pretty neat. Um, it's got Eric Roberts in it huh, and okay. um, Tom Sizemore. And, geez, I can't remember. He's a, a great actor from Chicago, and I'm ashamed of myself that I can't remember his name. But uh, if I think of it during the show, I'll pop it out. And since I did Magnum, I've done tons and tons of stuff. It would take too long to go through it. But um, oddly enough, I reoccurred on two, two Hawaiian shows, one with Richard Grieco called Marker, who, which was written by Stephen J. Cannell, the you know the wonderful author. He did uh, and, Wise Guy, loved it. I yeah, loved oh it. yeah, he's he's just a wonderful man. He, we lost him about yep. two months ago. Correct. Yeah, and um, I did another one called The Raven uh, that lasted shortly. And uh, oh god, I did a couple movies, uh, one in, in uh, Philly and one in uh, New York, and. Just busy. I'm busy all the time. Well, I start good. another film in about three weeks. So. That's excellent. A working actor, you can't ask for anything more. 
Oh, yeah. There was a film that um, I wasn't in that uh, I was really wanted to be in, and I was too late. took place in, in your town. Hmm. It was called Tenth and Wolf. Tenth and Wolf. Yeah, and it was on, I guess it was the street, Tenth and Wolf. I Actually, mean, no, there, there, there is no Tenth and Wolf, but there could be a Tenth, oh. could, could be a tenth and Chestnut, uh, which is a popular area right in Center City, so maybe that's where the name but comes I, from. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I met my friend who's a lifelong friend now, Tony Luke, who owns that great sandwich shop. I was there for the World Series. I went down yeah. and had tickets for the series a couple of years ago, and I took my wife yeah. for one of the sandwiches. Tony makes a great – matter of fact, he's franchised to some degree. He makes them um, – they go to supermarkets now. He's got them in supermarkets. i got to find them because I love them. And I, and I brought Ernest Borgnine over to the place to surprise his dad and the people, so – he stopped traffic literally there. <laughs> it was really funny. I mean, Ernest Borgnine and I pop out and out of nowhere, and we're in Philly, South Philly. Yep. We ate at a place called Maria's or Mama's Kitchen or yep, something. Yeah, exactly remember. where you are. You had you had a good Italian meal. Yeah, good strong. I love it there. I mean, it's a terrific place and Avalon and Fabian and yep. and uh, um, what Jimmy uh, Jimmy. Oh, you got them all there, Larry. Yeah, I, mean, they, I, I grew up in Long Beach Island, South Jersey, so I was about an hour and a half from from Philadelphia. But I'll tell you what I like about Philly. I like living here. First off, I'll tell you something the truth. I love Chicago. I, I've been yeah, in Chicago many, many times on business. Uh, nothing beats the lakefront. Nothing beats the pier. Uh, Michigan Avenue, good football, good football game at Soldier Stadium, Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. You got it. Too cold for me, but that's about it. Philly, to me, is the perfect city. It's yeah. not New York, it's not L.A., it's something smaller, a little bit more intimate, and we have, an, we have a complex about ourselves. And I, I like that. Yeah, we do. We got you should be, I, I would be very proud to be from Philadelphia. Just a couple of times I've been there, I had a wonderful time. I love all the people. Jimmy Darren's a good friend of mine. Okay. Must be the water there. You guys, everybody that comes down there has got these velvet voices. Doesn't Vic <laughs> Damone come from there, too? You know, it's funny. I think that was because of the... Uh, the uh, second wave uh, of the Italians that came in, the first generation of, of American Italians born here, something in the water, maybe something just in the voices. But, yeah, we had a, we oh, had yeah, a, we had a lot of luck with that. Connie Francis? Yep, and Connie Francis. Did Connie Stevens come from there? Um, I want to say yes. Yeah, I mean, that one I'll just... have to check. I'm the only Italian that can't sing. <laughs> you remember Dale Robertson, the cowboy? I remember the name. I did a picture with him, and we were in Las Vegas. He was doing an act, and we were in between the scenes and stuff. He'd be singing. He says, get that dandy dago up here. <laughs> and I says, well, what do you want? <laughs> Standing well, on stage. Well, and he said, well, sing something. I said, oh, I don't sing. He says, well, you're the only stupid dago that I ever met that can't sing. Now he's right there with me. Trust yeah. me, I have no singing voice. You know, reading well, about you in, a, in Aloha Magnum, um, and we're talking to Larry Minetti, who played uh, Rick Orville Wright in Magnum P.I. You were kind of a wild child. Nothing completely out of control growing up, but you were a little, you were a little hellraiser, weren't you? And yeah. You kind of, well, like, yeah. I never did. I never did anything to hurt anybody. I never hurt anybody. That's good. And um, I was wild. Yeah, I was. I don't know why. I mean, it started off, I remember, and, you know, it's funny how you can remember your your past. But I remember ditching school when I was in my second grade. And um, 
It was my idea, and that's what scared me when, <laughs> as I got older. I said, Jesus, I don't know if it's good to, to be coerced into something or to have your own idea, but it was my idea, and I just didn't get along in school. School, to me, was like tangling with a mountain lion, and... Um, I, I just, uh, they didn't have Ritalin around that. They didn't have any of the say, drugs. Weren't you diagnosed with ADD? Yeah. There you go. And, but my dad didn't understand. You know, my father just, uh, you know, when I was a young kid, he came uh, out of World War II, yeah. out of Iwo Jima. And he expected this boy that he has to be this whippersnapper smart kid. And I was just pulling all Fs. And, um,. He was very upset. So was, I guess everybody was, you know, and I just would stare at the teacher and nothing would go through my head. And it was very, very haunting. And if there's anybody out there that has this, please go get help. Today there's help. I would yeah. give anything to say that I finished college. Uh, and there is help and there's medicine that you can get that'll straighten you out. That'll, uh, I don't know what the, what the remedies are, but I could promise you one thing. You'll thank me one day because uh, the, 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 there is medicine that'll make it work. You, and, don't use, uh, uh, you don't use Ritalin right now or anything associated with it? No, I don't use anything, no. My, you know what? I, as an actor, I have to memorize, and I learned in my own way how to memorize and do it very well and to this day it still works and um, I mean I could just whip through pages of that stuff and uh, I'm very happy Good. Uh, I, I can't uh, you know I'm not a guy that could sit with a bunch of books I don't even do a checking account my wife does <laughs> uh, but I'm great at uh, I'm great at history I'm great at English I mean everything else except mathematics it's a real real problem I'm dyslexic and what you're saying is kind of funny because I'm trying to imagine if if someone had told my father a school back in the day, dyslexia, he would have beat the dyslexia out of me. That would have been, yeah, you, know, well, that's, you know, there's yeah. no excuse for not doing well. I don't care if you're yeah. dyslexic or you have no eyeballs. Yeah, well, it's not fair anymore. So, I mean, even no matter what color or creed you are. I mean, uh, there's. I know Ridland's supposed to be terrific. My son was on Ridland. My son uh, went to school, and I went, oh, no, he's got my genes. Yep. Oh, no. Yep. And um, yep. I was upset, and uh, we found this great doctor, and, and, and uh, Nancy put my son on, on Ridland, and uh, he graduated from uh, University of Southern California with honors. Great. So it worked. Great. Congratulations on that. At least you had the forethought to realize, hey, there's something wrong. And that's what happens normally, Larry, with that. The parent sees in, sees what's going on from the child's perspective and goes, Whoa, yeah. wait a second. Yeah. That's what happened. But let's let's move in here a little bit now. You did a show that I saw as a little kid called Ba Ba Black Sheep. Mm. You did that with Robert Conrad and a few My other hero. people. Yeah, I mean... That see, you were you were pretty young then too. What was it like to you know to to work with Robert Conrad and those boys? And I'm not where where they have it filmed at? Were they were the guys on location in the Philippines? Yeah, we we filmed the, the entire show in uh, Lancaster, which at that time was Onion Fields. And um, I mean, when we hit the dirt, we hit it. We could have landed on top of a rattlesnake or a scorpion. Oh, lovely! I mean, it was <laughs> it was like the real Megilla, and. Um, it was just a, a time that I think I thank my stars that I had. I mean, when you're a young guy, I was in my 20s. So, you know, to me, I was just in heaven. I mean, here I was, you know, as they said, a movie star. And 
uh, playing with Conrad, and our guest stars were like, forget about it. I mean, just big time actors. And uh, I was learning my craft really as I went along. Because at young, at a, when you're a young guy, I don't care who, how many plays you've done or whatever. I mean, you're still learning. It takes a long time to really master this. So I had a ball, and Conrad, I mean, Conrad in, him, in himself is a delight and just a real character. I mean, when I first met him, he was an avid boxer, you know. Yeah. And he had on headgear. Well, I was a tough punk from Chicago, you know, I thought, you know. <laughs> so he says, hey, Minetti, come here. So he puts the gloves on me, and he gets me in the ring, and he hit me in the head. I'm telling you, I saw monkeys running around. <laughs> well, he was, I mean, he was known as a tough guy. Oh, Conrad, Conrad was brutal. I mean, he was a great fighter. He, he managed fighters. He had Frankie Crawford. I mean, he was the kind of guy you see that's portrayed like in Rocky and that. And he was a terrific and, and a, just the nicest guy and took me under his wing. And he really liked me. And he taught me how to box. And I went in the ring with a pro fighter and sparred with him. And the guy hit me in the liver. And I said, oh, God, if I get through this, please, I'll never lift my hand again. <laughs> and I, that, I remember how that hurt. Yeah, the body shots. Sometimes the body shots are worse than the uh, head oh, shots. Oh, real painful. I, I still do a little kickboxing, and, and I took one in the hip last year that uh, actually forced my tendon back behind a bone. Yeah, don't and, do that anymore, John. That's not. That's uh, make love now. Uh, I'm, 40, I'm 43. I got to keep trying to stay uh, oh, keep okay. testing myself. Got to keep testing myself. And but, then, then we did we did another series called The Duke together. That Conrad played an ex fighter. Okay. And the reason I'm telling you this is a cute story involved. So uh, I played a, a bookmaker, and we shot it in Chicago, our hometown, which was a, a big deal. And um, we're doing this scene. And he's talking, you know, Cadillac, you know, you understand, you see, you see, you see, you see that guy out there? And I'm going, yeah, and he's throwing these punches, and the director yells, cut. Well, when the director yells, cut, I turn around to walk away. He doesn't hear it, and he clocks me right in the chin. Knocks me out. I go down like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> I had this bruise on my chin and the Universal Studios was, they were having babies because I couldn't work and they're saying, well, put makeup on it. But they had to keep me out for a couple of days. He probably had a concussion, didn't even know it. He hits real hard. I can imagine. We're talking to Larry Minetti. He is the uh, actor from Magnum P.I. played Rick Orville Wright. You can get his book, Aloha Magnum, which is great. I read it about four years ago on his website, LarryMinetti.com. Larry, you, 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 you you get offered, we talked before a little bit, you were actually offered the role in Simon and Simon first right. before Magnum came along. I assume you were offered the, uh, the blonde-haired guy's job, correct? I'm not going to say because they're ah. both friends of mine and I, okay. I just don't want any whiplash. Okay. But I was, I was offered one of the roles and uh, I was excited. And Phil DeGuerre, who wrote it, was a terrific writer. He was one of the writers on uh, Baba Black Sheep okay. under Cannell. So, but then um, I, I wound up doing a Rockford Files with James Garner, and it was a two-hour special Rockford. And um, I played Simon Oakland's son in, a, in the Rockford. Gotcha. And um, <clears throat> I worked with Tom Selleck. Yeah, he played, uh, he played uh, the straight Lance White. Character. Lance White. The perfect detective. And he drove this white Cadillac, and he wore this white suit. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, there were, I was lying on a... 
and a duffel bag in an auditorium on the first day of shooting. There were 2,000 people in this auditorium, and everybody was drinking coffee, and it sounded like a hundred million birds, you know, you couldn't hear yourself think. And all of a sudden, it goes dead silence. And I turned around and I looked at the door, and there's this white figure walking with suntan, and as I gets closer, I make it out. And I said to Simon Oakland, I said, who is that guy? He said, that's the star of the show. It's Tom Selleck. I said, he's prettier than Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> so when, when I saw this and when Magnum came, I said, you know, I got to take this because this Selleck's going to be something. So you so saw I it there. Right. You saw it right there because from what I understand, having read about Selleck a lot, uh, he had four or five failed pilots. Nine. Nine. Take that back. And then he kind of hooked into this, and then, and I, and I, I assume you were on set for this when it happened. The screen, uh, the actors' uh, strike hit in 1980, yeah. and uh, Selleck was up for the role of uh, in uh, Raiders, Raiders, Raiders of the Lost, Lost Ark. Were you yeah. on scene at that time? Did you know oh, him at I that point? All, I remember when he went. I went with him. He went, They had the script attached to a chain in an office. So if you're in the office, you couldn't take the script out. Gotcha. I mean, and, and he read it, and I sat outside waiting for him, and um, he, Universal and CBS knew that they had a rocket in their pocket, so they weren't about to let Selleck go out anywhere, and they had him locked up. But he got over it. You know, listen, these things happen. You know, it's always, it's always better to give a sigh of relief and say, hey, at least I'm working, so. Well, that's what he was saying in one of the books that I read, that, uh, you know, it would have been, it would have hurt him more had Magnum not taken off the way it did. Yeah. You know, so that, that's the way it goes. Larry, I hate to cut, Larry, we got to take a break real quick. I'm going to roll into a commercial here. We're talking okay. to Larry Minetti. He was one of the stars on Magnum P.I. back in the 80s. You're listening to Life Unedited back in a few moments. Hi, I'm Perry Ritchie from Advent Nutrition, and I'm inviting you to listen to WCHE's premier nutritional information show, Mission Nutrition. Tune in every Tuesday afternoon from 4 to 4.30. I'll be discussing the most current research findings and therapies available in all areas of health, from how to lose weight and keep it off to managing a host of other medical conditions, from insulin resistance to heart disease, fibromyalgia to osteoporosis, autoimmune disease, menopause, cancer support, and more. So please join me. I'll introduce you to special guests, great programs, and an open line every week so you can call in and ask questions to get and keep you feeling fit, happy, and healthy. So tune in every Tuesday from 4 to 4.30, right here on 1520 AM WCHE Westchester. Remember, your health is your responsibility. So let's take charge of it together. For a lighthearted look at issues affecting seniors, the baby boom generation, and their families, including finances, care, the law, and decisions the over 50 generation face every day, tune in to WCHE's 50 Plus Planning Ahead. The show is co-hosted by elder law attorney Janet Colleton and Phil McFadden, co-owner of Homestead Senior Services. 50 Plus Planning Ahead airs Wednesday afternoons at 4.30 p.m. Janet and Phil will be joined by guests who will discuss what we do when we get older and how to assist our parents with their needs. 
So tune in Wednesdays at 4.30 p.m. for 50-plus Planning Ahead on your home for local news, talk, sports, and entertainment. WCHE 1520 a.m. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Larry Minetti. He was one of the stars on Magnum P.I. He played Rick. Larry, you there with me? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I got my water, too. I can hear you kind of switching some water around. Keep your throat I'm drinking a little coffee. Oh, you got coffee? Okay. That it's I eight, had already. It's 825 here, John. It's uh, still early. I know it is. I'm sorry. When I got up this morning, I was up at my for my daughter's uh, field hockey tournament. I was up at like uh, 5 o'clock. But oh, my I, God. Uh, that's, you know, that's the way it goes. You know that when you're a parent. These are the yeah. Well, do. I was out to dinner last night with my agent. But anyway, it's I'm great good. to talk to you. This no, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Now, I want to yeah. move a little bit more now into the Magnum part of your career here. Now, Rick, you got the character Rick. Now, I just watched the pilot episode again the other week, Don't Eat the Snow in Hawaii. You played it kind of uh, like a Humphrey Bogart. It was kind of goofy, to be honest yeah. with you, because I, I didn't understand that. Then later on in the next episode, you started. Did you play yourself when it came yeah. after that first well, pilot? Well, there's a cute story, and I'll, I'll share okay. it with you and the listeners. Um, I got this, and they said, well, you're going to play Humphrey Bogart. Well, I like the idea of the show and Selleck, so I kind of said, okay, I could live with that. Later on, I'll get rid of it. And um, I didn't know that they were really serious, and they literally had a jacket that Bogart wore uh, in Casablanca that, that didn't fit me. So I said, I'm not wearing it. It smells. So they <laughs> had to make me a new a new white tuxedo jacket. So anyway, I'm dressed exactly the way he was, and I'm using these lines of, you know, of, of all the things and of all the towns and all the gin joints in the world. Why did it happen yeah. to me? And all these famous lines. And as I'm doing them, I'm saying, I'm doomed, I'm doomed, I'm doomed. Because you can't play Humphrey Bogart. You can't play James Cagney. I mean, you may as well, try, you know, jump off a cliff. So as I'm doing these lines, this director is getting really upset because I'm not delivering the way he wanted it. And I said, hey, you know, take it and pound it. That's the way you're going to get it. I was really a cocky guy, but but I knew I was right because I'm not going to imitate. That's like trying to imitate Frank Sinatra at the at the Paramount Studio, the Estonia. So I, um, I got through it, and anyway, CBS did not like what they were seeing, and they said, well, we like Minetti, but we don't like what he's portraying. And he, plus, he looks 12 years old playing Humphrey Bogart with a cigarette <laughs> in his mouth. That's so, true. <laughs> yeah, so the producers called, and they said, you know, we're in a real dilemma, Larry, and I thought I was going to get the act. So I said, look, guys, leave me alone. Just write the dialogue that you're writing. Leave out these goofy things about Bogart, and uh, leave it in that I always wanted to be Humphrey Bogart, so I changed my name uh, from Orville Rick Wright. Mm -hmm. I don't know where we came up with that name. And I used the name Rick because that was his name in Casablanca. And okay. that's why during the show sometimes Roger would say, all right, Rick, you want me to tell everybody here why your, your name is Rick? Yeah, that was so, an ongoing joke. Yeah. <laughs> ongoing but anyway, joke. so I played myself, and the rest is history because it worked. And to play yourself as an actor is not an easy chore. Well, but it it became it became really simple to me, especially after eight and a half years. So, what was it like though to to be involved? Now, Selleck was just really coming on, and he came into his career late. 
yeah, mid thirties. It wasn't like he was a kid, and yeah. you know this was later on. But the camaraderie that you guys had on the show with you know Roger Mosley, Jim, you know John Hillerman, yeah. and so forth, it seemed to be real. At least to the to the television people, I really saw and felt that you guys had that camaraderie together. Yeah. Was that true? Well, it's absolutely true, and the camera does not lie. And that's one of the main reasons this show was such a marvelous hit. It's because we all got along just famously. It's almost like, you know, we read the script, but sometimes we'd ad-lib, and sometimes it was just hysterical, especially with Roger. Roger and I became a unit, T.C. and Rick. Yeah. So, I mean, every time there was something, it would be T.C., and he'd be moaning and groaning, oh, you're going to get me killed. He would say to Selleck every time he's in a helicopter, yep. we're going to get killed, they're going to shoot us, and Rick, will you shut your mouth? You're going to get me, you know. But um, the, the writing became better and better as the writers would see these dailies. They'd say, oh, wow, I love this. And then they came up with this thing, well, let's let's try and kill Minetti in every show. But, you know, they didn't really <laughs> kill me. So, I mean, they had me off waterfalls. They had me pinned to a, to a, a pinwheel with knives coming at me. I mean, you, everything you can think of, they did one once a week. They had me in quicksand. That's right. They had bugs on me, snakes. So, it was hysterical, and every week we just had a ball. It was you get up in the morning, go to work. I mean, usually when I was a kid going to work, it was like, oh, God, I'd, I'd wait till the very last minute to walk in the door. But I couldn't wait to get to work when I was doing Magnum. Now, you guys did something at the time, this is 1980, five years after the fall of Saigon in Vietnam. For the first time, uh, it appeared that, that uh, Vietnam veterans were being portrayed in a more positive light. Was that a right. conscious decision by you guys, the studio? No. Just kind of that how it worked out. That was the studio, and that was the writer, the writers, and they had us all as Vietnam vets. Mm -hmm. Well, that was part of the whole uh, take of the show, is that the three of us were veterans and, and pals during the war. And we did some flashback. We did a lot of flashbacks. We did some movies. I mean, we even went back to Vietnam in one yes. two-hour episode, which is, I tell you today, it stands up as could be played in this theater because it's a terrific feature film with Robert Forrester in it and everything. And I get shot. And uh, <clears throat> But to back to what you're saying, you know, we wore these missing in action bracelets. And we were really, really dedicated. Listen, that was a war yep. that um, I was drafted in and sent back because I had bronchial asthma. But I went to Fort Leonardwood, and after I got home, uh, three-quarters of my troop were wiped out, so I might not be here. So it's, um, it's, it's terrible that America takes and erases different wars, just like, oh, well, that's nothing, you know. And the Korean War I never hear about. No, the Forgotten War. And it's war. terrible. All these poor guys that give up their lives for our country. Well, you know, it's... You watch the news, you wait to see what comes back after the Afghan war and the Iraqi war. I'm hoping it's a little oh. bit different, but I don't think we learned any lessons from Vietnam. No, that's just nonsense. It's these politics. I don't want to get into politics. Ah, that's understood. No, that religion. We, that's that one we, thing I learned when I was a kid. You stay away, voodoo. That's true. You're right. You're right. Unless we're doing an outright interview on it. Yeah, now, what yeah. was it like to, to film in Hawaii? I mean, you're, are, did you feel isolated there a little bit? Well, when I first went there... Hold on. Mm -hmm. Take your time. Uh, when I first went there, I was playing tennis, and W.K. Stratton, an actor friend of mine that was guest starring on Magnum, 
It was the very first show. Yeah, it was uh, Don't Eat the Snow in Hawaii. He looked at me and he said, well, take a look around. See the coconuts and the geckos and all these things. And I go, yeah. He said, well, you're going to be here for a long, long, long time. <laughs> I said, you're crazy. So I, I figured, well, if the show does go... You know, they're going to do it in L.A. because they don't want to spend the money to shoot this in Hawaii. Hawaii is expensive. And there's a little dot on the, you know, in the Pacific Ocean. So I just went about my merry way, you know, as a, as a kid that's in their early 20s would. You know, you're not a worry in the world. And I say, I know, they're shipping me off to Hawaii and giving me money to move. And I'm there for nine and a half months. And I was the cover set on top of it, so I could not escape. I don't know if they did that on purpose to make sure that I didn't disappear and they'd have to find me in Saigon or something. But uh, they made sure that Manetti was in Honolulu all the time. I can so, see. Yeah, so, so basically that was, did you did you, say, did you feel isolated or did you really enjoy well, I did after a while, yeah, because it's an island. I mean, I, you drive around. How many times do you drive around? I started noticing I'm seeing the same people twice and three times and four times in the markets. You know, like there was nothing to do. You know, how much golf can you play? And it's sun. You know, there's a lot of sun there. So, I mean, I, I, I'm I, fair. I got light eyes, and, you know, I didn't want to get uh, skin cancer. Yeah. So, you know, and you listen to all these stories. Anyway, listen, it is what it is. I, I found ways to occupy my my time. I I, um, I do different things and keep busy. And believe me, when I got the chance... I was on a United Airlines flight, sitting there, waiting, just waiting, in deep breath, waiting to get off in L.A. or Chicago, because that was a terrific treat for me. And at Christmas, it was a big deal. You know, one Christmas, we got on a plane, Selick and I, and there was nobody on it. Nobody. Hmm. And, we, and it was a Continental Airline. And I looked at him, I said, well, how come we're on this plane? And he said, I don't know, the studio gave me these tickets, and the chauffeur drove us there. And we got on this plane, and then I look up, and there's Robert Six, who owned Continental Airlines, sitting with, um, not Audrey Meadows, yeah, with Audrey Meadows from the Honeymooners, who played Jackie Gleason's wife, yeah. he married her. And they're eating pizza and stuff, and come on back, boys. And he introduced himself, and he said, you're my guest today, and we're going to have pizza and tell old stories on the way back. To so there the four of us were flying in this gigantic jet all the way back to Lake. That's good, though. you got, you got great stories. Your entire career has been a great story. Now tell me a little bit about your friendship with Frank Sinatra. I know he did oh, an episode... Frank. Uh, later in the uh, TV series, he played a detective, uh, Coheny, I think. Coheny, yeah, yeah Coheny. Kind of Coheny. And uh, yeah. but you had a good friend, close friendship with him. Oh yeah, I was friends with Frank. Well, I, I met Frank when I was 12. I was a caddy in Chicago, and in those days you could hitchhike without worry. And I would hitchhike out to what we call the country, and um, you'd be in a pool and you get a number, and then whoever the foursome or the twosome was, you'd have to be their caddy. So, lo and behold, I get this foursome, and I recognize Frank, and I was 12, but, I mean, my mother, and, I mean, all of uh, Chicago loves Sinatra. I think they got a big statue. I think the whole world loves Sinatra. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I kept my mouth shut and did my job, and he gave me a $100 bill. That was big time, boy. That was a lot of money. And um, the next year, 
I didn't get the number, but I found out that Frank was there and some other kid had it. So I said, here, I'm going to give you some money. I want this foursome. And he was a little hesitant, and then I talked him into it. And we're working with Frank, and I said, you remember me? No. I said, oh, I caddied for you last last year. No, that's nice. What do I use on this hole? So... It, it was it's up and down, up and down. But at the 18th hole, I remember I talked to him for about a half hour, and I told him that I was going to go to Hollywood. And he says, "Well, if you do, kid, you look me up." And I did. Many years later. So that's the story with Frank. And you know, just to tell you, Selick and I were also in an airport once, and they put us in this green room. Okay. And uh, this woman was sitting at this table. And I went, oh, God, and to myself, I hope this this woman doesn't make me nuts. And she turned around. It was Betty Davis. Ooh. And she said, come over here. And she says, light my cigarette. And I went, I can't believe I light Betty Davis's cigarette. She still and looked she, good. She still looked good to the end of her life. She looked Yeah, good. she did. She smoked like a woman. chimney. Yeah, she did smoke like a chimney. I heard that report. But she had. Yeah, but she loved Selick and I. And she is. I tell you, that was one of the highlights. I mean, besides me, I mean, I met James Cagney and had a drink with him. I met Rudy Valley, had lunch with George Raff. Hmm. I mean, I mean, this is all things that I remember growing up uh, in Hollywood, coming from the streets of Chicago. You know, and everybody puts their pants on the same, so anybody that pretends to be something else or uh, holier than is a jerk. But these are things, I mean, I, I would, I mean, really excited, but I won't step on your parade. You keep asking me questions. No, no, yeah. no. Listen, listen, Larry, this is, this is, I, I had the privilege of interviewing Mike Wallace a couple of years ago from 60 Minutes. Oh, wonderful man. Excellent, excellent interview. But I'm going to tell you right now, this ranks up there with, with the Mike Wallace interview for oh. me. Well, I told you before off the air, the show uh, was very inspirational to me growing up. It was, uh, you come from a home where there's no one, you know, you, you're looking up to people. And you yeah. try to find a role model, and that role model, were, you know, turned out to be you guys. Uh, you know, the characters. Oh, that that's you nice of you to say. Oh, trust me, my brother feels the same way. He's only three years younger, and uh, we, like I said, I have the entire box set, and once a year I break them out and I check it. But I do have a question. Different people I want to kind of go through here. The major personalities. What, what was Roger mostly like? He came across to me to be maybe a little bit more aloof than the rest of you. Well, Roger, first of all, Roger came from an all-black area here in uh, L.A. Okay. Um, grew up hard like most black kids do in these ghettos. You know, once you're in a ghetto, you know, you don't get out. And there's no hope. And you got to think about this, no matter where in the world you are, there's always a place that's a dark hole. And Roger was in this dark hole, and uh, he had a chip on his shoulder, and uh, he was a tough guy. Big guy. I mean, really tough. He used to spar with Muhammad Ali and Larry Holmes and those guys. Oh, I didn't know big. that. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, he was big. I mean, you don't mess around with him. Yeah. And, and he pulled up in this big Rolls Royce the first time I saw him, and... He got out, he looked around, and I said, hey, you, you must be Roger. Yeah, what do you want? I went, oh, God. But through the years, um, I'll tell you what, if you read the book, on the cover of the book, there's it, a quote from Roger E. Mosley, and it says, anybody <clears throat> that could share a motorhome with somebody for eight and a half years is a good friend, and Larry Minetti is my good friend. Oh, that's nice. And we turned out to be really good friends, and we go on. Like two weeks ago, we did a personal appearance. We do a lot of personal appearances. 
and we just have a ball. We take our wives with us, and if it's a casino, we eat dinner, we gamble. I mean, I have a ball with Roger, and, you know, everything mellows out. I was cocky. He was cocky, you know, but it all worked out, and I think it added to the show. But we're all real, and we're all, I mean, it wasn't too long ago we all had dinner here at my home. Excellent, so, excellent. See, yeah. this is, stuff, this is mean, what I wanted to hear. This was what I wanted to hear. We've been talking to Larry, we are talking to Larry Minetti. He was a star on the TV show Magnum P.I. We'll be back in a few moments. It's 2 in the morning, and you can't sleep. You're behind on your mortgage payments. Everything was going along fine until you had those unexpected medical bills. Now you don't know where to turn. You don't want to lose your house. Help is available for Pennsylvania residents. The Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency can put you in touch with a counseling agency in your area. They'll work with you to identify actions you can take to possibly avoid foreclosure. And they can help with steps that may improve the affordability of your mortgage. There's no cost for this counseling service. So get a good night's sleep. And in the morning, call the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency at 800-822-1174. That number again is 800-822-1174. Call during business hours or visit our website at www.phfa.org. Look for the hot topics that appear and then click on the one for foreclosure counseling. Check it out. You'll sleep easier once you do. How many of you love to read? That's great, because there's a new show on WCHE called The Avid Reader, hosted by Sam Hankin. Mr. Hankin owns the Wellington Square Bookshop in Exton, and it's been named the best independent bookstore by the Mainline Today editors, featured on the cover of Chester County Life magazine, a featured article in the Daily Local News, and Sam Hankin has one of the most breathtaking bookstores in all of Chester County. Well, fortunately for all of us avid readers, Sam Hankin will be reviewing some of the best-selling books and authors during his show on Mondays at 4.30, right here on 1520 WCHE Radio. So tune in and call in Mondays at 4.30 for the Avid Reader Show, hosted by the owner and operator of the Wellington Square Bookshop, Sam Hankin. Back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Larry Minetti, one of the stars. He played Rick on Magnum P.I. You can get uh, Larry's book called Aloha Magnum, which I highly recommend for any Magnum fans. It is excellent. And you can also go to his website to get it, LarryMinetti.com. Larry, um, kind of go through the different characters here. I'm curious. What was John Hillerman like? I know that's not a real accent. He's Texan. No. he was. Um, he's originally from Denison, Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, really had a theater background, did uh, Blazing Saddles, and ter- just a terrific, terrific actor. I learned a lot from John watching him. I mean, he was trained, I think, in the British Academy, but if I'm wrong, he's going to call me and say, my boy, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but um, he was so much fun, and I just pulled all kinds of jokes on poor John. I mean, he was like, I was I was really, I mean, every day there was some kind of a joke. Either Roger or Tom had a bug on me in my pocket, or I was <laughs> nailing John Hillerman's shoes to the floor. So when he fell asleep in his chair and they went, action, let's go, he'd jump in his shoes and keel over. 
<laughs> Poor <But> guy. <laughs> he was a wonderful man, and he still is. And, you know, they, if they ever do this uh, stupid Magnum movie, we'll all be together again. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I... Uh, they, if they were going to do it with the originals, they should have done it in the early 90s. I heard that, yeah, John, right. I heard that John Clancy was one of the writers up for the yeah. role. Right. Because, he, uh, was, he, he did. He wrote a treatment. Oh, did he write one? Uh-huh. Okay, because I always wanted to know at the end, did, did you get married to that girl or not? That's the cliffhanger. <clears throat> yeah, that's and I was, the cliffhanger. Well, it, you know, what made the show good, Be, you know, the camaraderie? You guys grew in the characters. You watched the beginning of, this, of the series. And everyone's pretty much, you know, a tough guy, which is to be expected. You're Vietnam vets. You're just kind of dealing with life. But as the show goes on, it's still serious, but there's little bits and then more so as the time goes on of comedy. Uh, It it just, the show encompassed just about everything uh, that that as a kid I could ask for. It it had had the action, but then it had the friendships, and then it made you laugh. Yeah, well, there was... You're right, and every now that I think back, my mind is like a little theater, and I could see, I could see scenes with Hillerman uh, blowing up groundhogs <laughs> and Selick waking Selick up, and I see me when building a volcano and and TC and I in a bat cave and going to. I mean, it, there was, it was just so much, so much to do and so much fun, and it's just such a shame. It really is a shame that they can't have shows like this today. I don't understand. I mean, this is just one in a million shows, and it's not because I was on it. I mean, I would, the good Lord was great to me, man, because when they when that show went off the air, it broke the mold. That was it. No, that's been it. They haven't been able to duplicate that, and they won't. But as far as a movie today, if yeah. someone had to play, and, and I'm going to go through a quick list here, I would make I would make Magnum Selleck's role. I would I, I think Gerald Butler would be good. He's got a ruggedness to it. Yeah. Uh, just my opinion. I'm throwing this out there. Well, you, I, I, I want can your tell opinion. you this, and Go I'm going to quote Selleck because we're asked all the time, and I mean we're asked on live television, and we're asked on on award shows, and I mean, and he just says nobody can replace us. You can't, and it's like replacing the Eiffel Tower, and if they try it. There's going to be a lot of body bags floating down the river because it's just not going to work. And I agree. And they said, well, Mark Wahlberg can play you. Yeah, okay, fine. But, you know, I'm going to, again, to just reiterate, you know, something. You can't, you can't get into the shoes of Betty Davis, no. of Lucille Ball. I love Lucy. You can't do it. And when you have somebody, and they've tried this a million times, to to recast and to make these old movies. I mean, who's going to play John Wayne? Would you like to see some guy write up and say, um, the hell I am, and whack the guy across the face with a rifle? That's a good point. You know, I mean, it just, it just doesn't work, guys. It, it, it's a really good point, Larry, because yeah. I've sat here, and like I said, if, if they could have done it, Back in uh, you know the early '90s, you guys could have really shown where the characters went for the yeah, you know, yeah, I think five it's years. Too late, quite frankly. I think it's it's dead and buried. I mean, unless they want to do it this year, but you know, it's, uh, it's they waited too long. And that's the you know the Universal Studios is not the brightest <laughs> color in the, in the Crayola box. So, uh, well, now I want to get a little bit more like the little it's little little questions now that fascinate me. Now, my wife and I were married in Maui. Mm-hmm. We were married at McKenna Point, but we yeah. spent uh, a week and a half over on uh, in Honolulu. Mm-hmm. Now I made a pilgrimage to the house, to oh, Robin Masters' house. Oh yeah, I hopped the fence and everything. I did the whole thing. Oh, I swam God. in the tidal pool. I hopped the fence. 
I took some rocks. Oh, yeah, I'm a sick individual. I completely oh. admit it. I, I, I admit it. I'm sick. Yeah. But I, I guess my curious question would be, what was that house like? It seemed it's a lot smaller than what it looked on television when I was there. Well, the, the house is owned by the Anderson family. Correct. They found it, and um, that, that became, you know, the, the home where uh, uh, Selig lived yep. and where John Hillerman was the uh, caretaker. Dovo master, yep. yeah. And um, the interiors were all shot at the studio. They built these gorgeous, gorgeous rooms. If you've seen this, you know where he opens the safe in the wall, yep. and there's the Queen of uh, Queen of England's on it. Yep. And um, all the exteriors were done there. So, I mean, anything we did, like the parties that we had, and all that, were, were done. And we'd use the tidal pool. And I can't tell you how many times I laid on that beach. I mean, with different girls and actresses and. <laughs> It's um, it, it was really neat. It was like going home, and um, it's still there. And I understand that people drive by it every day and take pictures. And well, they do. And I, my wife and I were there about 14 years ago. I said we got married in, in Maui and ended up there. Yeah. Uh, I walked down from the uh, the state park that's right next to it, and I came right down and I took pictures and we went in front of the gates. It's you know it it, it just played to the fantasy. Of, of that kind of lifestyle, living in a house like that, not, you know, coming and going as you please, having the keys to a, a sports car like that, which yeah. leads me to ask you, I understand that you bought one of the Ferraris after the show yeah, ended. Yeah, I did. I bought, um, I bought the tow car okay. in 1986. A tow car, one car Selleck drives, mm-hmm. that literally drives in another car they use, if, you know, for really fast uh, deals that they go around these corners at 80 and 90 in case it gets bumped up. Okay. And then I had one that uh, if Tom and I had a scene, I'd be in it and it was being towed by a truck. And we were all lit, lit and had sound. So when, when it was over, I think it had four miles on it. So I bought it. And that was the year that Selleck surprised the cast and gave us all 928 Porsches. Yeah, I read about that. I read yeah. he, he surprised yeah. everyone with that, the uh, yeah. Porsches. Yeah, so, I mean, that was just one of his surprises. So the, there I was with a brand-new Porsche in my garage and a Ferrari. I, I was, uh, and I got a lot of tickets. Yeah, I bet you did, because I'm the same yeah. way. I drive a sports coupe, and, and I enjoy every second of it. <laughs> I, enjoy, I enjoy feeling the power, I have to admit. Now, it, it seems to me... From what you're saying and everything I've read, that Selleck is, uh, Tom Selleck's a very down-to-earth, nice individual, maybe even too nice for the kind of work you guys are involved in. Well, he was, look, I mean, Selleck is, if you don't like Selleck, you don't like people. Okay. Uh, it's that simple. And, um, you know, every year he tried to give us something because, you know, the, the show made a ton of money. As you said, it's in a hundred and something countries and I mean it's just a wheel wheelbarrow money for Universal Studios it's it's um it's I think I don't think any any show has ever done what we've done not for eight and, years uh, pardon me not for eight years most shows run for what I understand four years that gets them into syndication yeah but I mean the, our syndication I mean it's just it's it's just everlasting and and they shot it in a way I don't know if they did it purposely or not but it's timeless Yes. So, I mean, all the clothes, the, the Ferraris always stands alone, the Mercedes-Benz. I mean, so even I get little kids now that watch the reruns, and they don't know what a rerun is, you know. So they say, oh, geez, I saw you last night. But 
Anyway, back to the question. Yeah. What was it? I forgot. Oh, uh, we're talking about the Ferrari because my, my oh. because you bought one, but my thing was kind of funny. Again, when my wife and I went to Hawaii to get married, I wanted to get the 308 GTS in order to uh, to drive us to the wedding. When, when oh, I got rented one. Yeah, I wanted to rent one. When I got, I'm six foot four. I'm the same height as Selleck. Mm. When I got in the car, I didn't fit. And I found I found out that they had modified the car for his size. Right. Yeah, they did. And uh, they had taken the stuffing out of the seats and tore it all back. And I was again, I'm kind of sick. I guess I was kind of really upset about. Well, that. they took the top off. You know, you yeah. never saw him drive around with the top. No, no, because his head would have hit it. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And John Wayne had cars made special. That he had a dome above his head. Ah, because he was he was six foot four as well, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, he was six six or six, six seven. Six. He was massive. He wow. was just a big guy. But they had, uh, in fact, I saw one of his old Buick station wagons not too long ago. But yeah, that car. Well, the Ferrari was one of the stars of the show. Oh, we yeah. made Ferrari. Not that Enzo Ferrari wasn't on his own. No, no, no. You when, made when Ferrari. we came out. I mean, everybody was buying Ferraris. That's right. That's oh, you made Ferrari. Just like Ray Ban sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can say what you want about Tom Cruise and his uh, his Ray Bans, but the Aviators. You guys made the Aviators pop, yeah. uh, popular long yeah. before Tom Cruise and yeah, Tom. And um, what else? I I wore those uh, shirts with the white collars and cuffs. Yeah, they were kind of cool looking though. Yeah, so they were I mean, cool. I made that, and then after the show, I mean, people were giving me shirts with white collars and cuffs as gifts. But I, you know, I I was so sick of them. I didn't want to wear them anymore. I can understand that, Larry. What was the dogs like? What were the dogs? They were well. First of all, you can't bring a dog to Hawaii, so the dogs had to be uh, locked up and okay. quarantined. And we had six sets of dogs. And um, you know, there were Dover and Pinchers, man. You know, when they come in the room, I used to freak. You know, because <laughs> I, I pictured that. there was a movie with John uh, with um, Gregory Peck. He played a Nazi, and at the end, they killed him and ate him. And they were Dobermans, and that's all I would think. And so you say, Larry, take it easy. But, you know, I didn't. I told the writers, you know, do me a favor. When Hillman's feeding him and stuff, tell him to feed him on his own. <laughs> but it was, um, I, you know, I, I didn't get close to him because they told us not to, not to try and make friends. These are trained dogs. But they were beautiful. I can understand that. <laughs> Larry, what's your, what's your favorite episode if you got to pick one? Give me the favorite Well, I, I, there's two. Okay. One is uh, Little Sister. Okay. Which um, I was up for an Emmy for, and Selleck was, and Selleck got it, and he well deserved it. And uh, the other one was The Christmas Story. With the little girl? We were all on an island, and oh, we crashed on it. That was right. a neat Yeah, that was fun. But, you know, there's, you say my favorite. Right. There's a lot of them that are my favorites. I, I mean, they're just so much fun when I see them. When I do get to see them, I, I reminisce because... They were just hoots. I mean, the wedding, the last episode was fun when I had the underwear on where it had hearts and arrows on it. And, <laughs> I mean, just... Uh, well, mine, I'll give you the first one. My favorite one, I think a lot of people's favorite, is uh, Did You See the Sunrise This Morning? Yeah, yeah. You, did you see the sunrise? Did you see the sunrise? That, Boy, is that, yeah. was that, is that a powerful ending? Or yeah, what? that's when we set up Bo Swenson, I think. Yep. Yeah, I think we set him up, and uh, he stopped, and I was under the engine. Something was wrong, and Selleck said, you're not, you're never going to see the sunrise. It was perfect. Boom, and the screen went black. It was perfect. Well, that was the first time in television history, and they were, Universal just was boggled with letters and cards. 
I understand. I understand. What do you mean it was the first time in, in history? Well, the way they, that he just cold-bloodedly killed him. He, he knew that this guy was a killer. Yeah. And he was a Russian, and that uh, not that there's anything wrong with Russians. No, there's folks. nothing so, wrong with know, Russians. Uproar, but, you know, this, this was the Cold was War. Cold War. And Cold War. It was not good. So he decided that he was going to take justice in his own hands, and I, I knew what was going to happen, so we, that was our ploy. We, we killed him. And it was, it, it, again, I know from uh, the other Magnum PI fans out there, it is considered one of the, uh, the most powerful show that was done in the series. Yeah. Exactly. Now, my and second favorite one is when his wife comes back from uh, being dead oh, yeah, in Vietnam. Yeah. Just, you know, just the different ones. I mean, that reminds me, what was, uh, what was Marta like to work with, the wife? Which Marta she, Dubois yeah. is the nicest gal. She has an acting school here. Hmm. And her husband was Saldano who I studied acting with, and Selig did, and Michelle Pfeiffer, and a whole ton of us did, and he passed away a few years ago. And so she she uh, learned everything from Sal. She used to assist him in all the classes, and she opened her own acting school. So there's some trivia for you folks. Excellent. If you want to be an actor and you're coming to Hollywood, go to Marta Dubois' acting school because there is no better. That's excellent. This is really enjoying this, Larry. We're talking to Larry Minetti. One of the stars of Magnum P.I., the show ran for eight seasons, can now be seen in 178 countries. Larry has written the book Aloha Magnum, which I've read and is an incredible book. You can find it on his website, LarryMinetti.com. Larry, I have to ask this, and I already know the answer to it, but in the series, it always appeared that Roger Mosley was actually flying the helicopter. He really did. He he did fly the helicopter. Well, here's the deal. Okay. The studio wouldn't insure him, and we couldn't get insurance, and I wouldn't get in it if he was flying it. No, it was selling. Okay. Because he was in training then. It was like he had baby wings. And um, <laughs> he um, he was flying, but he learned he's become a great pilot. Him and I went to Germany, and uh, we were there in a personal appearance. There were thousands of people there, and this guy comes up and says, "You know, we have a brand new helicopter. Would you guys go go with us? And we want to photograph and fly around." So Roger says, "Oh, sure." I said, "Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa! Is there a parachute in this thing?" <laughs> no. I said, is there a net underneath us? No. I said, I don't think I want to go. But anyway, I did with him. And he's really, really a terrific pilot. So, yeah, that's the answer to your question. He really flies. Yeah, it, it did seem like that. Now, I wanted to ask you, too. Um, Selleck's got a new show, Blue Bloods. Right. Any chance that you might get a guest appearance? He doesn't want me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got to explain that one, Larry. Why well, did he not want well, you on I the mean, show? Well, I mean, he doesn't. He called me personally. I had a role <laughs> on the show, and uh, the ex- executive producer I did a movie for a few years ago, and he had this great role for me and called me, and I says, oh, great. And then Selleck called and says, Larry, you can't do the show because people will think we're doing Magnum. So I said, whatever you want, pal. I mean, that's, that's my friendship with him. I love yeah. him. You know, whether he was right or wrong, I'm not going to say. But um, I couldn't do the show, and they had to give the part to somebody else. So he said, if you, if you can get a role on the show without me and just the other cast, it's fine. But that's uh, you're laughing, but that's something I don't want to touch. No, I can understand that. It's just an yeah, interesting yeah, not, not a good No, I can understand that completely. You've, you guys have got a really strong friendship, it appears. Yeah. The camaraderie is still there yeah, after well, all Magnum, these years. You know, and to a point... 
Robert Wagner, I ran up by him, and Robert Wagner said, well, I understand that. You know, so, I mean, Magnum is so big and so popular. I mean, we did, um, I did his show, and he did Vegas, and they... They promoted the jerks, saying, guess who's on the show? And then they show our two faces. And, I mean, every Magnum fan in the world watched it, you know, which was, we figured. But I didn't know they were going to use us to get points, you know, to get numbers on the show. Oh, of course they did. That's, I mean, well, that's I'm not what a, they did. You I'm know, not so. a Vegas fan. I tuned in yeah. on it. Uh, Blue Bloods, I, I think Selleck's doing a good job on that. It's nice yeah. to see him back in television. Larry, I got to roll it up here. Unfortunately, our system went down, so I won't have any bumper music to uh, clear it out with. But okay. <laughs> my producer said, "Well, you got the bumper music? She's got the bumper music." Oh, okay. We got oh, the all right, John. It's been a good time, and thank you out there, everybody, and, thank you. and God bless America. I'll talk Thanks to you a lot, soon. Larry. I'll talk to you soon again. I hope. Bye. Give me some music. No music. Oh my God. There we go. <laughs> We've been talking to Larry Minetti. He was one of the primary characters in Magnum P.I., a TV show that ran for eight years from 1980 to 1988. 178 countries now have it available. And you can find the book Aloha Magnum on Larry's website, LarryMinetti.com. Thanks for listening. Be back next week.